0: Hey everybody, welcome back. We're gonna get into the teaching now. If I didn't say this already, my name is Evan Wickham. My wife, Sandy, and I have the joy of leading this church alongside an amazing team. We'd love to get to know you better. Reach out, email us, get connected with the church. Um, and our team really feels like family and we wanna get to know you, be family with you. So we are in a series in First Corinthians, okay? Paul is writing a letter to this little church in the ancient city of Corinth, which was a lot like America in what they valued, uh, celebrity, political factions, unlimited sexual expression and wealth and class, very similar to modern times. And, And the thing is, the church in this city was starting to act more like their city and less like Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter to try to steer them toward what Jesus called life to the fullest. And he wanted them to look at all of life through the lens of the good news that Jesus is king. And so he goes after their political engagement. They're breaking up in groups. And he's like, no, 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 let's look at church unity through the lens of the gospel. And, and all of these things, he's, he's bringing them onto the same page with Jesus. And now, in chapter seven, Paul gets into the nitty gritty about all things marriage and sex and singleness and divorce and all of these like relational issues. Um, And the idea is, if Jesus is the true king of the world, and if his kingdom is breaking in and all the other kingdoms are falling at Jesus' feet, uh, then how should we be thinking about sex and marriage in this new order of Jesus, in the kingdom he's bringing? So, so it's a forty verse chapter. It's a big one, and in these forty verses, Paul goes into like rapid fire, uh, rapid fire mode, and he hits six or seven different relationship questions. And here they are on the screen. He first hits Christian married people who are worried about who are worried about sex and how and how it works in the kingdom, and uh, and then he and then he hits Christian unmarried people who are wondering if it's okay to get married. And then Christian married couples who are considering divorce. And then Christians who are married to non-Christians and wondering how does that work. And then Christians in general just looking to change their status, their relationship status. He talks to engaged couples who are wondering how to behave sexually. And then in the last two verses, he gives a final comment to Christian women and lets them know they don't need to be married in order to be fully empowered in the church. It's like so punk rock of Paul at that time. He elevates women and men together in the church. So there's a lot in this chapter, and there's tons of debate on what the Corinthians were first asking him about because he's answering questions about sex and marriage and relationships. Um, But one thing we can all agree on is that these situations are super relevant today. So our plan is to kind of dig underneath and ask the big question like, why is Paul doing this? What's driving all of these topics for him? Um, So before we go further, I need to say one thing. Um, There's some really important stuff about divorce and remarriage in this chapter, but we're not going there today. Part of the reason is because we've gone there in-depth before, and we'd love to share that teaching with you. If you want that teaching audio from back in our Gospel of Matthew series, we'd love to email it to you. Just uh, reach out directly. It's it's entitled, Jesus on Marriage and Divorce, from back in February of 2019, from our Matthew series. So, here we go. You ready? 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to start with verse 10. Uh, There's a lot of ground to cover. Here we go. To the married... I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Okay, pretty straightforward, it seems. Uh, According to Paul, as a general rule, Christian husbands and wives shouldn't divorce each other. General rule. There's obviously tons of nuance there. And again, it's in that teaching we can send you if you want. But Paul clarifies, he's like, hey, this isn't just me. I'm passing on to you a specific teaching from Jesus in this. Um, And then Paul turns to Christians who are married to non-Christians. And they're wondering how to make it work. Like, that's a complex situation. And so, verses 12 through 16, here it is on the screen. He says, to the rest, I say this. Then he says, I, not the Lord, meaning... Not not that this is less important, but that Jesus didn't specifically teach on this, but I have his spirit and authority as an apostle, and he has actually elevated my authority in the scriptures to his own. So uh, he says this, you ready? If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer, and he's willing to live with her, she must not not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but, but as it is, they're holy. There's a lot there. We can't get into the weeds. Moving on, verse 15. We are gonna unpack this. He says, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? Wow. Okay, so a um, couple things. Paul is addressing a pretty common situation today where there is a non-Christian married to a christian Uh, uh, so it starts it starts out in paul's mind they're two non-christians and one of them comes to jesus and and so one of them becomes a christian joins the new family god is building and it's it becomes very difficult very difficult situation because this is essentially a whole human union husband and wife that is only like half united to jesus and you can like the tension there is is profound um, it's almost unsustainable, it, you get this idea from Paul. And I wanna say in my 21 years as a pastor, I've met a lot of couples like this. My wife and I started in youth ministry and there are a lot of kids with parents like this um, where one spouse is united to Christ and the other is not, but they're meanwhile united together. Um, and this is, I wanna say, so painful. And I wanna acknowledge that in, in this space right now. Um, when we first started planting Park Hill three years ago, there was this incredible guy in his like late forties, early fifties. He'd show up to every prayer meeting. And so I, I thought he was single. Okay. <laughs> he'd be he came alone, first man on last man off. Like he was devoted praying for people with his guts out. He was so awesome. Um, turns out he's, he's married and his wife just has zero interest in Jesus. Like zero. Um, And this was by far the most painful thing he would ever talk about for himself. This was so painful for him. Um, For one reason, he's obviously worried about his wife's eternal destiny and relation to God. But on another level, he would daily grieve his inability to give his whole life to Jesus' mission— He's like, I just want—I just want to go be with the vulnerable overseas. I just want to do this thing, but—and uh, he was so torn uh, because of his marital reality. And listen, if this resonates with you, I want to extend like open arms and all the comfort and embrace in the world to you because of how difficult this is. Um, your spiritual family is here for you. If you're in a difficult relationship because of these reasons. Our arms are open to you to process and pray and cry and laugh and be supportive to you in community. It's so hard. This guy who I'm talking about, his constant question was like, how do I do this? How do I move forward with God? I don't even see how sometimes. And the passage that grounded him was this one, 1 Corinthians 7. If your non-Christian spouse is willing to stay, then you stay. Your mission, your high calling now is to mirror God's reckless faithfulness to your spouse for your spouse to see. Beyond hard, but so honorable. And then Paul says, but if the unbelieving spouse leaves, he says, let it be so and live in peace. That broken relationship, is no, it's not easy. It's like He's not saying it's easy. Um, but the point is, at the end of the day, there is only one person who can be your spouse's savior, and it's not you. Uh, and this is meant to free your soul, to free your heart. If your spouse has left Jesus and now they've left you, then you're, you're free of any shame or guilt or fear in this situation as a loved daughter or son of God. And there's so much more to say there. It's so complex and painful, which brings me to an important side note, I think. So when Paul's giving this instruction to uh, a couple where one Christian, one's a Christian one's not, listen, he's not approving a Christian entering a relationship with a non-Christian, Understand? So I get that this is tough today when often most of our friends are non-Christians and most of the eligible folks in our circle are not Christians. Scott's sermon on singleness last year hit on this really beautifully, like friendship and intimate companionship. We all long for this, and this is hard. Um, And it's often easiest to find friendship outside God's family. For many of us. But to be clear here, Paul is not giving a thumbs up to like missionary dating or whatever. Um, in fact, in verse 39, Paul specifically gives like the one non-negotiable quality for a potential spouse. You ready for it? They must, quote, belong to the Lord. That's Paul's one quality that's non-negotiable in a spouse. And, and that Greek literally is only in the Lord, Mary. Um, And the reason is what… the the story of the man from our church three years ago, the reason is because those competing loyalties in marriage, the lived reality is just too painful and not sustainable. Eventually, it'll end in disaster one way or another. Okay… Uh, And so, let's keep reading, okay? I know this is heavy, but uh, we're gonna get through it, and you're gonna see Paul's reason for all of this. His heart behind all of this is beautiful. So, bear with me. uh, He speaks more broadly now to Christians that are just wanting to change their status in general. Okay, verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them okay he's using circumcision and uncircumcision being Jewish and not being Jewish as an analogy to being married and not being married as status symbols he's like both belong in the body of Christ verse 21 he continues this this train of thought he says were you a slave when you were called don't let it trouble you although if you can gain your freedom Like, do so, for sure. Verse 22, For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Okay, we're blazing through this, I know, Um, but this is a word for all Jesus followers who are wondering about our status. It's all of us in one way or another, all the time. Wondering about our value and our worth and how we sounded at dinner last night. How did I sound, did I come off weird or whatever? Like our status and our relationship status, we're worried about this stuff all the time in many levels. Um, we lie in bed at night or as we're scrolling through Instagram or in a normal world, we're getting ready to go out on a Friday night or now in this like extended pandemic, it's all intensified. It's like, how am I ever going to establish myself, secure my value and find social belonging in an era of social distancing? And, and how should I go about seeking marriage right now? How do I escape my existing marriage right now? Do I need to become something other than I am in order to finally relax in my own skin? I, and maybe you're like, I definitely think a different identity, a different status would make me worth more. It would make me more valuable. And what am I supposed to do with my heart in all of this? What do I do about all this anxiety and insecurity and restlessness around status. And so first thing I want to point out, I'm a huge fan of the NIV Bible, um, but this passage is one of the moments the NIV kind of misses it. This is really important. The magic is in the original Greek. The ESV actually gets it right. See, the NIV says each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. In other words, it sounds like the thing you're supposed to remain and rest in is your original status, but that's not what the Greek says. Uh, It's close, and it's passable, obviously, uh, but the ESV nails this, uh, as do many other English translations. That's why it's important to read a lot of English translations to get at the original. And look, on the screen, here's the ESV. In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And that word remain is the same word Jesus said, abide in God. Why is this important? Listen, as a follower of Jesus, the thing you remain in, the thing you abide in, is not your status. You don't, you don't uh, remain in your status as a Christian. No, the, it's, the, Paul is not saying to rest in your status as a Christian. He's saying to rest in God regardless of your status. Understand, like it's an amazing difference. Do you long for this? Don't you long to be free from anxiety that comes from posturing and maneuvering, whether it's you're married or single or class or ethnicity? The Holy Spirit declares freedom over you today. As a child of God, you can live free for wholehearted kingdom service, free to relax and free to abide in God wherever you find yourself. He's not saying you're free to abide in your singleness or abide in your marriedness, which is kind of how the NIV tends to read. It's actually you're free to abide in God regardless of your singleness, regardless. You see the secondariness of that. It's so freeing. You do not need to change your status in order to matter and fully rest In God's family, profoundly freeing. When Paul first said this, it was profound in a world when women were less than, and slaves were less than masters, and Gentiles were less than Jews. Paul makes this same incredible point in in his letter to the Galatians. In verse 26 through 28 of chapter 3, he says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the new family of Jesus, where you belong. Uh, God offers you belonging and peace and the power to flourish where you stand right now where you stand, no matter your status. Uh, And so he's like, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. And then Paul himself extrapolates it out to married and single. In chapter seven, there is neither married nor single, for you are all one in Christ. And in this family, what that means, you guys, is that you are free, free to live, free from anxiety about your status and to abide in God. Paul's simple command is, so, so don't scramble for social position. Why? Because Paul's about to say in verse 31, the world in its present form with all its values and systems and politics, that, this world in its present form is passing away So scrambling for position and status is like rearranging chairs on the Titanic to use a very jarring metaphor. Um, Just picture it's all sinking. The social orders of this world are sinking. Water's filling the bottom of the ship and it's pouring over into the different sections. The ship's breaking in half and standing on its end and we're we're jockeying for power. Um, It's all sinking political elections will be a thing of the past, you guys. I, I, that's a beautiful, beautiful thought to me. It, no, more, no more like button. The systems are gone. No more Tinder. Instagram, gone. Racism, classism, sexism, gone. Even human marriage, gone, which means singleness, gone, right? And as the new family of Jesus, we're called to embody that new reality now, Jesus' kingdom is breaking in now and you're, you're free to abide in God now in God's future kingdom. You can bloom where you're planted. You can bloom where you're planted. Free from anxiety to be something that you are not. How does that sound? In the new family of Jesus, every other identity takes a distant second place to your primary identity as loved child of God, my brother, my sister. That's who you are, and I am your brother. Which brings us to verse 25, where Paul starts by saying, now about virgins, naturally, like you do, right? Um, so, so let me clarify. When we hear the word virgin today, we automatically think of someone who has not had sex, right? Um, but that's a modern construct, mostly unhelpful, Most scholars agree the word virgins here was actually an ancient term for young women who are betrothed but not yet married to men in the church. So we should read this part here uh, as instructions for engaged couples. So when when you read the word virgin here, you should think engaged person, okay? So that's just some context. So here we go, verse 25. Now about virgins... I have no command from the Lord, meaning Jesus never specifically spoke to this, but he has Jesus' spirit because he's writing the scriptures. He says, but I give a judgment as one who who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Don't seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Don't look for a wife. But if you do marry you haven't sinned. I love that. It's like, if you do marry, yeah, you haven't sinned. Uh, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. <laughs> um, I love how blunt Paul is here. But, but here's where Paul gets to the heart. Here's where we start to, to land the plane in communion mode. We have a few more minutes left together, but here's, here's the core. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, that's where we're going to stop today. Well done you track through a ton of text. We are going to stop in the text there and just a few final comments here. Uh, This is what Paul's been getting at all chapter 7. So, summing up, he's saying, hey, if you want to get married, that's fine, but it's great to be unmarried. There's a lot of problems with getting married that I would love to spare you from, he's saying. And we're like, why, Paul? And he's like, well, a person who's married wants to please their spouse, and a person who's single wants to please the Lord. That's his answer, and and let me tell you, this is actually a brilliant, cutting observation from Paul, why? Some humans, something humans are really good at is treating other humans like pagan idols. We're really good at that. This is when we do something for another person so that we can get something in return, we can get fulfillment by using that other person for our own agenda. Humans are typically pretty good at using other humans. This of course can happen in all friendships, but it's especially true in covenant marriage where escape is not an option. <laughs> so, so because I'm a married guy, um, and I'm just being real, I, am, I want to be fulfilled in my marriage. Um, and often if I don't get what I want, I'm not just talking sexual fulfillment. I'm talking about like my agenda, like all the way down. And if I don't get what I want, I blow up and it's ugly because marriage is tricky because in one sense, I belong to Sandy, who's sitting right there on the floor right here. I don't know why you're not a chair, but you look cozy. Um, in one sense, I belong to you, Sandy, and Sandy belongs to me. Paul literally says this in the early part of chapter 7. In one sense, Sandy is a form of my wealth. Like, I'm rich because she's mine. Uh, and, and I'm hers. I'm her wealth. And we do fulfill each other. But ultimately, here's the deal. I'm commanded to serve her until I'm dead. Like, there's no asterisks on that. Until death. Death. I have a lifelong commission to fulfill her. And as one pastor used to tell me, he's like, Evan, uh, it's your job to get a PhD in Sandy. I have, there's no like, other choice for me. As a married person, I don't have the privilege of getting a PhD in finding fulfillment only in Jesus, because I have a 24 seven occupation of working for the fulfillment of Sandy. And it's not easy to do, while I'm busy trying to find my own fulfillment in both Sandy and Jesus simultaneously, you understand? Um, I love how Tim Keller says it. Um, If my marriage is good, here's the problem. This is the problem. If my marriage is great, I'm in constant danger of finding my ultimate fulfillment in my wife and not Jesus. And if my marriage is bad, I'm in constant danger of thinking, dang, everything would be good if my marriage would be better, when it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be. And this is Paul's whole point in this chapter. The only thing that will fix you is the future. It's the future, that incredible wedding supper that we will all be at that is coming to us. That is the only marriage that will fix you and fulfill you. That's the only one. So here's the reality. If you are a single person and you're watching this, then you have a really good prospect in front of you. You know what it is, on one hand, As a single person, you can avoid the selfishness and absorption that often overtakes every marriage. That's a great thing to avoid that. Uh, And on the other hand, you can have way more deep abiding friendships. Like kingdom friendships are powerful human experiences. Marriage can be that. But a big point Paul is making is that marriage is full of potholes, it's extremely easy to be sucked into the selfish spirals that happen in marriage, and in many ways, friendships are some of the best ways to get out of yourself and learn, that you're, learn what you're supposed to learn through serving other people and to actually experience love the way you're supposed to be loved. This is why Paul advises the unmarried to stay that way and why Paul commands the married to live like you're not married. This is why Paul commands those who mourn not to mourn too much and for the happy not to be too happy and those who have stuff and money to pretend like, to act like their stuff and money isn't really theirs because Paul and Jesus and the Holy Spirit want you to be free from the anxiety that comes from relationships and status, specifically relationship status and wealth and possessions. Why? why? Why is this so important? And Paul's big reveal is because the world in its present form is passing. You, you can just look at the events of the last week and see them as fading because they are. This is the worldview of Jesus the old age of darkness and broken relationships and racism and sexism and corrupt human politics, it's all fading away. And notice that's not future tense, it's present tense. Paul isn't saying they will one day fade away, he's saying they are. The world in its present form is currently fading. Right now, it's, it's waning away. This is the worldview of Jesus. All the broken systems of the world are in the process of passing and what's coming instead what's replacing it it's the king's people filled with the king's power in the king's world it's the kingdom of god and it's breaking in right now through the family of jesus aka the church so you guys whatever your status lean into the coming kingdom married unmarried whatever your status I mean, it's so, it's so amazing. The, the American dating scene is fading out, you guys. Your human marriage, if you're married, it's a sweet gift, temporary though. Your singleness, also a temporary gift, meant to tune your heart to the wedding song of Jesus. And Paul is begging us to encounter Jesus' worldview in this moment and live there, to be so compelled by Jesus' vision that we have a light touch on our sadness and our happiness. That's why he's like, don't mourn too hard. Don't celebrate too much about things that are passing. Light touch, heavy touch on the kingdom that's breaking in. And and, uh, it's so amazing. Jesus' kingdom is already taking over through you. So you can live free from concern about all temporary arrangements. And you can abide in God and Paul's last sentence, this is not meant to restrict you. I say this for your good. It's meant to free you to live in undivided devotion to Jesus. This is meant to free you to believe that Jesus is enough. Okay? So some of us, married and unmarried, some of us are living our lives like, we, like Jesus is not enough. Some of you married folks, this includes me often, some of you married people are frustrating your marriage because the main way we've been looking to our spouses is for fulfillment of us instead of serving our spouse unconditionally out of our fulfillment in Jesus. And then some of you single folks are stuck in the lie that the only path to fulfillment is either, the only choices are either casual sex or married status. And in both of these cases, What you're saying is that union with Jesus is not enough for you. And Paul's goal here is to free you to believe that Jesus and the church and corporate worship and bread and cup and community and our future wedding to Jesus is enough for us. We're free to believe that Jesus is enough for us because he says the time is short. There's so much creative kingdom life to live. And God is calling you out of fear that you're missing out on life. He's calling you away from fear that you're missing out on life. And so we remind ourselves right here, why are you watching a video of a sermon right now? It's It's because we know in our soul by the Holy Spirit that gathering to worship and praying bread and cup, practicing the way of Jesus, through these practices, we remind ourselves that Jesus is enough for us and all the other statuses are secondary at best and so as we come to the table we're going to have uh jose Zayas. he's a pastor up in portland part of the family of churches that have sent us down and uh, he happens to be down here and and just at this filming and so uh, we're going to have him lead communion in a moment he's incredible and uh so as we move into communion i want i want us to remember the first lie That Satan ever told humans it's a lie that's still in your bones today it's it's in my bones it haunts us it's at the core of why we are sinful do you know what the lie is so God tells Adam and Eve to eat anything except one tree and what did Satan say that ultimately led to humanity's fall Just to paraphrase, right? Here's the paraphrase. Here's the lie. If you obey God, you will never be happy. You'll miss out. That's the lie. If you thoroughly, completely obey God, you will miss out. You will not be happy. And that lie, it distorts marriage. It distorts singleness. It destroys friendships and ministries and churches and families and whole countries. The lie is that God will hurt you if you obey him or he'll starve you to death if you follow him and you'll somehow miss out on life. And the Holy Spirit through Paul He's driving home this point to all of us, married and single. If you fully obey and abide in me, you will discover you were built for me. Your joy depends on me, God says. So this, right now, this church gathering that we are in, this is the ultimate family right here. We're brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters of each other. This is why Park Hill Church is centered on communities. Communities aren't just some optional side program of our church, communities are the church here, period. Through communities, we practice this family. Sandy and me and our five kids, our marriage is just a subgroup of the ultimate family, which is you and me, all of us. Um, And we practice this. You're already in this family if you're single. Uh, and we practice this together uh, as we come to the bread and cup now and commit to singing and commit to bearing one another's burdens. So here's the call is to act like it and to lean in to the inbreaking kingdom of love together and let the spirit free you from anxiety about your secondary statuses whatever they might be and abide in God with your forever family. So let's pray church. Heavenly Father, would you come right now, and be with every single person that is joining this worship gathering. Would you remind them, may they rediscover that they're loved by you. And whatever that leads us into, maybe it's repentance of bitterness against our spouse. We repent. Or maybe, maybe, we, maybe it's setting aside, uh, pursuing casual sex. Lord, we repent of that. Maybe it's wanting to change our, uh, change our married status or our single status out of, out of fear that we're not enough, not out of an, uh, an obedient response to you. Jesus, would you wash over us now? Remind us who we are as your family forever. And as we sing a song and then come to the table, Would you reintroduce yourself to us as a good father? Thank you, Lord, that you're with us and for us. We praise you from the bottom of our hearts. In Jesus' name.